Awesome. Well, I've got a, um, I've got the uh, wonderful privilege of just sharing uh, over the next few moments uh, on a topic that um, I'm still growing in, still learning in, but also really excited because I believe this year is going to be a really important year for this topic in the life of the church, but also uh, in my life. Uh, and that topic is prayer. Prayer. That's what we're going to be looking at today. And um, I'm going to share a little bit about that very shortly. Firstly, do you mind if I tell you a story? Oh, come on. You can be a bit vocal. No, I need you to shout me down today. We've got, we've got people in the room. Uh, help me out. Um, do you mind if I tell you a story? Yeah. Okay, come on. Um, everyone say James. Yeah. I want to tell you about a story called James. It's a true story. Uh, I met James when he was 14 years old, and uh, I was at the time 19 years old. I was serving in a local youth ministry in a town in the Midlands, and James wandered in uh, one, one week, and uh, I, I have never forgot him since. Um, he was a delightful young man, but unfortunately uh, found himself in a variety of different troubles. He was known by the local authority. He was known by the police for misbehavior. Uh, he was a cheeky chappy, someone that made me laugh, but unfortunately he was regularly getting kicked out of school. He had a bit of a broken upbringing, and James uh, very quickly became very close to my heart. I, I saw a lot of myself in him, so we started hanging out every Friday night at this youth group. We'd spend time chatting about his week and about his day, and eventually it got to a place where he started asking about my faith. So I had lots of conversations with him about my faith and about God, and he was intrigued and wanted to know more. So we went to one of the best places you'll ever go to, which is Subway. Amen? Amen. Come on. Uh, we all start with the same sandwich in Subway, which is a meatball marinara. So uh, we all had a meatball marinara. Me and uh, James met every single week, and we'd eat sandwiches and basically talk about Jesus. We'd talk about the Bible, talk about the big questions of life, why am I here, evil suffering, all these different things. And we met week on week for a few months, and um, there was this one day in particular where I was due to meet James before youth group on a Friday evening, and everything inside of me just didn't want to meet with James. I know I shouldn't admit that as a pastor, but it's just true. Okay, um, I was tired. I had loads of things going on. I had exams, deadlines, essays, all kinds of different things. And the last thing I wanted to actually do with my time in the afternoon was go to Subway, eat a sandwich, and talk about faith to James. I shouldn't be admitting that, but it was just the truth at the time. I was 19 years old. So I started thinking of excuses to maybe postpone that evening so I could work on some of my essays, perhaps miss youth that evening as well, so I could just focus on some of the things that was happening in my life. Has, has anyone in those moments or in a moment in life ever felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit in certain situations, yeah? Well, I had that loud voice in my head saying, uh, this is not what you should be doing. You should be uh, spending time uh, with James. So um, here's the words that I started to stir up in my heart. In my tiredness in my bedroom, I sat down. I was looking at my MacBook. I was thinking of all the work I've got to do for that weekend, and I was looking at it, and I started to feel the Holy Spirit prompt me saying, you've never even prayed for James. Maybe you should start. I've been meeting with him for weeks, talking about Jesus, talking about faith, yet aside of all the busyness and conversations and interactions and hope that Jesus would reveal himself to him, I'd realized that I'd never prayed for James. There was this one phrase that I used for James every single week, and it was this, I believe God's pursuing you, he's just waiting for you to respond. And every single time I met up with James, he'd start tucking into his meatball marinara six-inch sandwich, and I would say, James, 
I believe God's pursuing you. He's just waiting for you to respond. And he took it so graciously, sometimes made jokes and all kinds of things. And week in, week out, whenever I saw him, if I bumped into him at Morrison's, if I saw him on the street, I would say the same thing. James, honestly, my friend, God's pursuing you. He's just waiting for you to respond. And he was like, yeah, Sean, yeah, yeah, that's great. That's cool. Anyway, tell me about why there's evil and suffering in the world. That would be the way conversations go. Anyway, when this Holy Spirit moment came, I started to pray for James for the first time. And I said, Lord, I'm struggling here. I'm tired. I've got loads of things going on, but I know you want me to pray for this young man. And I should have done it a long time ago. I'm sorry that I've not done it a long time ago. I'm going to start praying now. Smith Wigglesworth once said this quote, that sometimes when we pray, we start in the flesh, but we end up in the spirit. Sometimes prayer is like that, my friends. It doesn't always feel like electrifying bolt from God ready to go and call in the nations to repentance and salvation. Sometimes prayer is quite tough, right? So I started in the flesh and I was thinking of a million different things. And then as I started praying more and more and more, I started to feel the utterances of the Spirit come upon me. And my prayers started to become a little bit more convicted by the Spirit. And I was praying over James' life that God would reveal himself because he has been pursuing them and he does have a plan for his life. And I was praying, just let James respond to your call. Let him hear your voice. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I ended up in the Spirit. And then, of course, when you're in the Spirit, when you're walking in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, you start to see things very differently, don't you? So no longer my exams, I didn't care about my exams. At that point, I closed my laptop and I was like, I'm going to go to Subway and see James. So I walked down to Subway. We arrived at Subway. I was early, 4 p.m. He'd just finished school and I ordered my sandwich. And then out in the window where I was sat, I could see James walking towards me. He had his gray track suits on. He had a big puffer coat and a big bag. And he was slouching his feet. He was walking down. He had headphones in and I saw him and a delight in me thought, come on, this is why we're here. This is why we're here. And he walks in, didn't even say hello, straight to the counter, meatball marinara sandwich. He orders it, gets all his toppings, come down, sits in the chair right across from me and just slouches. And with a big slouch, he goes, Phew. I'm like, it's nice to see you too, James. Lovely to see you. How are things? It's been a bad day. Why has it been a bad day, James? Kicked out of lessons and I'm just rubbish at school and I can't be bothered with any of this. I nearly didn't come today. I can't be bothered with youth. He didn't use the polite language that I'm using there, as you can imagine. I said to him, come on, James. Like, you know, it's, it's, this is good. It's good to see you. And he was like, it might be for you. It's not for me. Not the greatest of compliments to receive when you've gone out your way to see a young person. So me, being me, thought, well, let's go back to the thing I've been saying to him for weeks on weeks. He probably don't want to hear it, but he's going to get it. I said, James, you know God's pursuing you and he's just waiting for you to respond. As soon as I said the words, James kind of blew up. You've been saying to this to me for weeks. Week on week, you keep saying these things, but where's the proof, Sean? Where is the proof in what you're trying to say? I, I know that it's just words. I know you've encountered God. You've told me about your story. You've told me about faith, but there's no evidence. There's no proof. You've not given me anything to make me to believe what you're saying is true. And he looked at me in Subway, and he went, prove it. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in one of those moments, but it's one of the scariest moments of your life, I promise you. I was like, what do I do here? Do I pray for snakes to come out and a blanket or what, what goes on at this point? I, I don't know. And I was looking at him and I was like, I, I, I don't know. Not only that, but I had two cashiers, subway workers, staring in, thinking, what's he going to do? Here we go. So I didn't know where to go and what to do. And I genuinely started thinking, do I need words of wisdom? Do I need prophecy? Do I pray for healing? I, I don't know. Do I speak in tongues? I, I don't really know where to go here. And then he went, that book you're always talking about, get that and prove it to me in here. And then I thought, the Bible, of course. Let's go to the Bible. So I thought, let's just go to the classic verses, Jeremiah 29. You know, the classic ones, we can use these verses to help him see that God is pursuing. And he went, no, 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 don't give me any of the verses you know. I want actual proof that God wants to speak to me and not just through you. So I said, okay, well, let's play a little game. Anyone ever played Bible bingo before? Yeah? 
It sounds great, but I tell you, it's terrifying when you do it and someone's staring at you. So I went, right, let's play a game then, James. Old Testament, New Testament, we're definitely going New Testament. We're not going Old Testament for this one. I was like, New Testament, I shouldn't have favorites, but I do, but we're going to go New Testament. I'm going to read about 20 books. You can stop at any of them, and then we're going to go into the book, find a verse, and see if God wants to speak to you. You up for it? James like, yeah, sure. Let's see, let's see what happens. So I went, I'll go through all the lists. I went through the list of the New Testament, and as soon as we got to James, stop. I was like, coincidence, why are you stopping at James? James, he was like, because it's my name, we'll stop there. I was like, okay, no worries. Uh, I read, I was like, okay, there's six chapters in here, James, you can choose anywhere between one and six. And he hummed and he hard and he didn't really get anywhere. He wanted a number that was outside of six and was saying, can I not just have eight? And I was like, you can't have eight, there's only six chapters, James. You've got to stick with inside the six. And he went, okay, what I'll do is I'll choose the number of my favorite football player. I was like, who's your favorite football player? Steven Gerrard. I was like, okay, what's his number? Eight. I was like, you can't have eight, James, I've just told you that. And he went, okay, but for England, He's number four. Can we do number four? I was like, of course you can. So we went to number four. We turned James chapter four. You've chose the book. You've chose the chapter. It's absolutely fine. There's about 20 verses here, James. Choose anywhere between one and 20. And he went, well, I wanted eight originally. Can I have eight? Stephen Gerrard, England number four, Liverpool number eight. I was like, absolutely fine. You can. So James chapter four, verse eight. I said, before we turn there, James, I'm going to pray a quick prayer. And I'm just going to ask God that he would speak to you through this verse. He was like, okay, that's absolutely fine. You've asked me to prove it. I have no idea what this verse is. But I believe God's pursuing you, and I believe he's just waiting for you to respond. Is that okay, James? Yeah, go for it. Pray. He stares at me. He's eating this sandwich. I kid you not. I prayed a prayer out loud that was really good, but inside I was like, Lord, nothing about circumcision, please. Please. Not today. I don't want to unpack that one. Please. So I started praying, God, if you know, you've got a plan for James, you want, to, you want to speak to him, and I believe you're pursuing him. You're just waiting for him to respond. So please, for your word now, just speak to us both. There's two caches are still looking in. James is looking at me half-hearted. And I go, right, let's go, James. We flick through. Okay, we're there. Chapter 4. Okay, we go, we go to James chapter 4. And I'm, I'm, I'm terrified at this point. 4 verse 8. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. James, God's pursuing you. He's just waiting for you to respond. Now, why did that happen on that particular day? Was it because of the weeks on weeks sowing seeds? Of course, it's a good thing. Was it to do with the conversations or the tact or the approach that I used to try to set up the conversations about Jesus? Perhaps. But here's what I learned from that story. It started the moment the Holy Spirit asked me to do something. Pray. You know prayer changes things? Prayer's powerful. It shifts and moves things that you can't shift and move in the natural. The Spirit does some wonderful things through people that are willing to commit to prayer. And when I speak about prayer, for some of you, it'll be a beautiful thing because you'll hear stories like that and you'll have seen it happen in your own life. And you'll go, do you know what? Prayer is a beautiful thing and I love praying. I've mastered the art of praying. I pray a lot. But for others of us in the room, and perhaps you're a little bit like me, when we hear talks on prayer, we start to feel this level of shame and weight on our shoulders because prayer isn't as easy as the stories we hear. And perhaps prayer is actually sometimes more difficult than we like to give credit to. And we know we should do it, but time and time again, we really struggle to encounter the presence and power of prayer. You see, my struggles with prayer run deep. I've had seasons in my life where I've had a dryness of my soul and they've always been looking back now deeply intertwined to a stagnant prayer life. Yet the very medicine for the dry season of my faith that I find myself in 
has been only found in the very thing that I was neglecting, which is prayer. Prayer is one of the most common phenomena of the human life. Even deliberately non-religious people consistently admit that they pray. Tim Keller found in a study uh, as he was looking that nearly 30% of atheists admit that they pray. 17% of those 30 admit that they regularly pray on a daily or weekly basis, even though they're atheists. You see, when some of us think of prayer, we, we may feel defeated and deflated. We feel shame because we don't do it enough, or we lack the resilience to even go past a couple of minutes of praying. Well, wherever you find yourself in this journey of prayer, what I don't want this sermon to be over the next 15 minutes is where you walk away feeling bad about yourself because you don't pray enough. But what I do want to happen in this, this, this next 15 minutes is that you hear the beautiful, gracious voice of Jesus beckoning out to every single one of us, come close to my child. There's a deeper level of prayer for you to step into. My journey with prayer has been interesting. I, I love prayer now, but it wasn't the case for a long, long time. And I found a few things in my journey reflecting over the last few days of what are the things that stop me from praying? And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about from a personal experience three things that have stopped me from having an intimate, consistent prayer life. And I hope that you can glean from them, relate to them, but then also find something where we can overcome and defeat them. Amen? And as we look at that, we're going to find them in Scripture as well, in a story from the book of Mark. And it's a beautiful story. It's a story that you probably may have not heard many sermons on because it's about a demon-possessed boy. We're going there today, okay? But it will be safe and it will be good. And I pray that Jesus will speak to us. If you have a Bible, would you turn to Mark chapter 9? And I love these next, uh, we're not going to have it on the screen or anything like that. You really do need your Bibles out for this one. Uh, I'm going to be literally pulling out verses, three verses, and I'm going to share with you how you can see in Scripture three things that erode and kill a prayer life. And I want you to follow with me, if you would, in Mark chapter 9, because I believe it will help you see in the story. Of course, I will read it out. We're going from verse 14 in Mark chapter 9. It says this. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them teaching the law and arguing. So here we've got Pharisees, teachers of the law, and disciples having a big argument. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. That sounds like a healthy disciple, doesn't it? How many people want to get to the place that when they hear or see the person of Jesus, they're overwhelmed with wonder and they just desperately want to run to Jesus? That's my prayer for this year. That when I hear about Jesus, see about Jesus, I'm not stagnant and I'm not distant, but everything inside me goes, I want to get close to this person who can change lives and transform towns and cities. So they ran towards him to greet him and he asked the question, what are you arguing about? I heard it all the way down the road. And a man in the crowd asked and answered him, teacher, I brought my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. And I looked at your disciples and I said, you're the ones that follow Jesus. Cast this demon out of him. But they couldn't do it. They tried and tried and tried and they couldn't do it. And Jesus looks at him and he goes, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it threw himself down to the ground in a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has this been happening? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire and water and attempted to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and please help, help my son. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my, my unbelief. 
And when Jesus saw that the crowd was starting to gather at the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. And he said, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you to come out of him and never return. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. So much to the point that the boy looked like a corpse and many around said, he, he's died, he's, he's dead. But Jesus walked over to the boy, takes his hand, lifts him up to his feet and he stood up. Here's the kicker. After Jesus had gone indoors, the young boy had gone away in freedom and peace. His disciples came to him and asked him privately, why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we drive out the demon like you did? What was different? We, we tried everything. We, we laid hands. We spoke with authority. We used your name. What is it? And here's what Jesus replies. This demon can only come out by prayer. Prayer. There is power in prayer. So much so that if we as disciples of Jesus Christ start to come alive with the power of prayer, not only will our lives change, but demons will flee and the very pits of hell will start to shake. I don't know about you, but I want the spark inside of me to come alive with the beautiful power of prayer that we actually see darkness shifted and light restored. Amen? Let me use quickly, just for 10 minutes, three things that we see from this scripture that kill prayer. Verse 14. When they came to him and the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, teachers of the law and the disciples of Jesus Christ, arguing. Jesus is walking down the road and he's, he hears this commotion coming about. There is arguments and scuffles and all kinds of different things. There's a demon-possessed boy that's making all kinds of different noise. And there's just this group of people making loads of noise. And Jesus is walking towards them. As soon as he gets there, he doesn't even need to ask anything. He just goes, what's going on? I've heard you from so far away that something's taking place. And here we find ourselves in a situation where the disciples of Jesus Christ, those that have been commissioned to do the good works of Jesus, are surrounded by this crazy noise of arguments and life and problems and difficulties. It sounds a little bit like life, doesn't it? Noisy. Do you think life's noisy at times? Because I know for me, life can be so noisy. And here we find the first ingredient that destroys a prayer life, a life filled with noise. Noise is everywhere surrounding us. We only have to turn on the TV or walk out the streets and we see people trying to get our attention. We come across thousands and thousands of adverts that are trying to grab our attention every single day. If you look into the statistics of it, it's absolutely crazy. There's noise around us, noise in the town, noise in the cities, and then you take our own personal lives, right? We don't even want to think about the noise of our own personal lives. We've got financial pressures, we've got relationships, friendships, children. Life is just noisy. And the noise swamps our minds so much that no wonder we struggle to find peace and silence and solitude to, to pray. No wonder we struggle with prayer so often in our lives when life is so noisy. Take on top of that this beautiful little device here that sits in our pockets and buzzes us all the way through a sermon. It's noisy, isn't it? Tweets and emails and texts and calls and voicemails and work and friendships and social media and suddenly we're infused in this world of noise. We find ourselves in the human world conditioned by a world that is noisy. And no wonder right now, statistically, anxiety is the highest it has ever been in the entire history of humanity. No wonder one in four people struggle 
with crippling anxiety. That's a quarter of the room sat in here. No wonder that Des gets a prompting of the Holy Spirit whilst he's worshiping about disappointments and noise that plague our minds because we are intoxicated by the noise that's, that, that drowns us out and stops us from growing. In, in schools, 49% of young people struggle with crippling anxiety. We have a noisy-fueled world, and we struggle to find space to hear and speak to Jesus. Let me show you the model of the human life. Joseph, if you could put that up. Here's the human model of life. This has been my life, and I've lived this life for so, so long. I have repeated this cycle consistently. We engage. Any people engaging in life right now? Yeah, lots of us have got lots going on. We've got work, we've got families, friends, and we engage, 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 and we keep going, and we keep juggling, spinning all the plates at the same time until we hit a place of exhaustion. Anyone been exhausted before? Some of you might be there right now. Anyone would love right now to just be transferred to a beach with a pina colada? Anyone? Oh, it's the biggest response I've had so far. Look at this, right? We'd all be there because there's an element of this noisy life that just makes us exhausted. And we keep going and engaging and struggling on empty fumes, just trying to keep it together for our family's sake, for our relationship's sake, for our own sanity's sake. And we keep going and engaging. We hit exhaustion. We try to push through exhaustion. But then eventually we hit this moment where some of you have hit already and it's burnout. And we hit flat on the face. We've got no more no more energy, no more time, no more, no more kind of motivation. And we fall to our knees and we're like, what is life? When we're constantly going through these cycles of engagement to exhaustion to burnout for a few months. And then you start to think, I've got loads to catch up on because I've been burnt out for two months. So what have I got to do? I've got to go start engage again. And we start engaging and then we get back to the same place, exhaustion and then burnout. And we repeat the cycle all the way through life. Engage, exhaustion burnout. Friends, if that is your life, it has been mine, but I have very good news for you this morning, and the news is this. It's not the model that Jesus demands for his disciples. He has a very different way of living for every single one of us, and it's a way that releases and liberates us from the rat race of life and pushes us to a new level of transformation and formation in the Spirit. Does anyone want to know the Jesus model of life? Let me show you the Jesus model of life. Here's this next slide. Here's what Jesus did in the disciples. He engaged, he withdrew, and he refilled. A different way of life from Jesus that he shows us how to live as disciples. He doesn't want you to be exhausted. He says, come to me all who weary and I will do what? Release you of your burdens. I will give you rest. He doesn't want it for your life, but we get caught up in it because of the noise. Noise is a killer to prayer. But here's what I want to show you in the model of Jesus that we see in the Gospels. Not only does he engage, he partakes in the mission. And we're all called to partake in the mission of God. It's not for the chosen few. It's for every single person that follows Jesus Christ. Amen? Every single one of us has a responsibility and we will give account to it when he returns of how we've engaged in the kingdom of God and the practices and missions of Jesus Christ. He has given us everything we need to complete and fulfill the mission of God to a broken and dying world. So we engage. But we don't just keep engaging. We have to have moments in our diary where we what? We withdraw. How do I know that? Because Jesus did it all the time. Luke chapter 5, yet the news about him spread all the more and crowds gathered around him saying, please heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me. And guess what he did? He engaged, he healed every single one of them. But then we hear this in verse 16. But after Jesus often, often regularly withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He engaged, he withdrew. And when he withdrew from the noise, what did he do? He prayed. And what happens when we pray? we get filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, 
we start to pick up our feet one again. We dust ourselves down. We start to ask, Spirit, I need you for this next season. I'm going to go back and I'm going to engage. And here is the model of Jesus. Friends, it's a really practical point that I want to bring to this. And, and every point over the next two as well, I'm going to try bring something that will be practical. And here's my practical point that I want to bring to you that you can apply hopefully this week according to the Jesus model to the human model. Perhaps you resonate with one more than the other. But here's the practical model. Have you looked at your diary recently and found spaces where you can intentionally withdraw? Some of your faces as you're looking at me, you're kind of going, you don't know my diary. This is so important, not only for our mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being, right? But this is also extremely important for our fruitfulness engaging with the kingdom of God. We will only be effective in our mission if we intentionally create spaces to withdraw and refill. If we are working and trying to do the mission of God on empty fumes and being exhausted, we will start to operate in our own strength. It's not the model of Jesus. He has given us the Holy Spirit because guess what? We all desperately need him. But we're only going to get him if we start to live the Jesus model, engage with the noise, withdraw from the noise, refill, and then go back out in full power, knowing that Jesus anoints you. Here's what I want you to do this week from point one. I want you to look at your diary today. And some of you hear those words, and you're probably not going to do it, but I'm going to say it again. I need you to look at your diary today. And I need you to look at the next week, two weeks, or three weeks And not only am I going to encourage you to find spaces to withdraw, I'm going to ask you this question that could be quite cutting. What are the priorities of your life? Because your diary will tell you. We have to withdraw. Friends, when we withdraw to a silent and lonely place, we escape the noise and we start to pray and we are refilled with the Spirit. Here's what happens. We no longer work towards God's love we start to enjoy God's love. That's the beautiful place of withdrawing from the noise. We start to just be in his presence. Every single one of you in here, no matter how mushy it sounds, you are a child of God, a son and a daughter first and foremost. Who you are is far more important than what you do. But in order for, us to that, for that to be concrete, we have to get alone to him. The first killer of prayer that I have found in my life, and I struggle with this so much, is noise, and we have to overcome it. Verse 17 to 18, point number two. We see that a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit. And we see that this spirit is knocking this boy all over the place to the point where it's trying to kill him. Fire, water, seizures, all these things taking place. And here's a simple one, but one that I, I, if I'm completely honest with you, I've only really started to grasp and understand this over the last few weeks. It's so simple, yet we don't think about it because of this word called shame. Here is a simple understander of a killer of a life of prayer that we see from the scripture. There's demonic forces out there trying to get you to not pray. There's an enemy out there that does not want you to pray. Let me put that really simplistic. We see it in scripture all the time. There is an enemy that is desperate for you not to pray. Yet when we don't pray or when we try to pray and we struggle and we fail, we can only do it for a minute, we get bored and then we get, the noise starts to fill us out. Here's what we do. The enemy's tripped us up. And instead of looking back and seeing the enemy's trying to stop me from praying, what we do is we look at ourselves and we feel absolutely horrendous. We look at ourselves and we find ourselves looking at the grazes on our knees and the, the scuffs on our hands and we start to go, well, the reason why I can't pray is because I'm not good enough. 
Friends, that is not the truth. You are good enough to pray. Jesus welcomes you into the intimacy place of, of prayer, but it's, it's not the re- that's not the reason why you can't pray. The reason why you can't pray is because there's an enemy desperate for you not to realize the tools that you've been given. Listen, the enemy is petrified of a praying church. He is not petrified of a church that comes in and sings songs. He's petrified of a church that is willing to commit to the devotional element of prayer. Prayer shifts things, changes things, moves things. It starts to change our lives, but also it starts to change the environment around us. Friends, I, I have learned in my life, and I wish it was, it was easier than this, that some of the things that we come against will only be moved by prayer. They won't be moved by good thinking. They won't be moved by good mentors. They won't be moved by a pastor or a church. They'll only be moved by prayer. Some oppression will not be lifted without prayer. Some wounds will not heal without prayer. Some trials will not end without prayer. Some sins in our lives will not die without prayer. Some relationships will not be healed and mended without prayer. Prayer is the source to so much freedom in our lives, and it's been given to us as a free gift for us to enjoy. But we know there's an enemy that doesn't want us to engage with it. We see it in Ephesians 6. You all know the scriptures. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the people in this room. It's not against those that you don't get along with. It's not against the people outside. You can turn to your neighbor and you can look at them and go, my problem's not you, because it's not, I promise you. The problem's not the people around us, our spouses, our children. That's not the problem. Paul tells us clearly the problem isn't against flesh and blood, but against what? Rulers, authorities, powers that are in darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's deep, but it's true. The beauty of this scripture in Ephesians 6, many of you know, he goes on to give us an answer to be able to combat the plans of the enemy to stop us from engaging in intimacy with Jesus Christ. He gives us the answers of how we can come against the forces of evil to really start to grab hold of what prayer looks like in our life. We hear of the armor of God. Anyone heard of it, right? So we've got the the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet filled with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. We hear it all. We've heard sermons on it. We've heard series on it. We've even done one here. But here's how Paul ends it all. He says, you've got to wear these things. And then at the end, he says this, but pray in the spirit. When we go through the armor of God, we speak about the armor, but we don't speak about the glue that holds it all together. The glue that holds it all together is prayer because the enemy knows that prayer starts to shift things and change things. Men, let me speak to you just for a moment if you're a man in the room. The enemy is not fearful of how macho you are or how much weight you can lift or if you've got a six-pack or not, but the enemy is petrified if you can start praying in the prayer closet. Hell starts to shake and demons start to flee when men start to rise up in prayer. How about a movement across the Southwest of men who take prayer seriously? The men that start to go, do you know what? I'm not going to be passive with this anymore, but I'm going to press in. Women, there is so much in the scriptures, and I know so many people in this room, of praying mothers and the difference a praying mother makes. I would not be stood here today if my mom and my grandmother didn't pray for me. There's power in prayer. There's power in prayer. If the enemy wants a war, he's going to get you to not look at the greatest tool you've got in your locker. And the greatest tool you've got to combat the schemes of the enemy is prayer. Here's what I'm saying. If the enemy wants a war, then I'll bring him a war. Come on. The only way we've engaged with it, it's prayer. We learn to pray, but we also learn to pray in the spirit. And I'm going to close with my final point in a moment. David, if you would like to come and John. If I could hear Christ, Jesus Christ, 
praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference because Romans 8 tells me that he is praying for me. What a difference it would make if we would just understand that right now, your name, your situation, and your future is not only taken care of, but Jesus is praying into it. How much fear and shame would lift off our shoulders if we just grabbed that truth? We have a king who is praying over us. Three things to to move in from here. And I want to just gently drop them to you, how you can start to operate in some of these things. One of the things that I've learned over the last few years is, is what the Apostle Paul says, praying in the Spirit. There's a difference between prayer and just praying in the Spirit. Both are really good and healthy. But the Apostle Paul speaks a lot about praying in the Spirit. And I want to encourage you to think and look into that in your private time. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? And what does it mean to enjoy His presence? When we start to operate in praying in the Spirit, and I'm not just, I'm not just speaking about speaking in tongues. I'm on about praying prayers that are anointed and gifted by the Holy Spirit when you're praying for them. Step into it, find it, find the source, and start to breathe it out. Because when you start to pray in the Spirit, I promise you, not only will your prayers become more bolder and more greater, but your confidence will start to arise. When we pray in the Spirit, we hear His heart and His thoughts for the nations and for the towns and for the cities. And when we speak about wanting to see the southwest uh, awoken when we see we want to see the southwest saved perhaps the only way we're going to see that happen first in our own hearts and then out there is if we learn to pray in the spirit the enemy will do everything possible to distract you and to stop you from praying but let today be a day where you say enemy no more get behind me satan i am stepping into a life of prayer for the sake of my own soul for the sake of my family's soul and for the sake of the southwest i believe we can see southwest saved but before any great move of god is preceded by a great move of prayer. May you hear the Spirit's call, not of conviction and condemnation, but an invitation to upgrade your life of prayer. Finally, this has been the biggest one for me. The disciples are trying to cast out this Spirit and they couldn't do it. And they go to Jesus and they're like, we tried everything. Why didn't it work? Jesus responds and he says, prayer. I don't know about you, but there's been so many times I've tried and tried and tried in prayer and I failed three the third biggest killer for prayer for me is failure I've tried so many times and I just can't seem to get it I've prayed for healing and we've not seen it happen I've prayed for something to take place in my life I didn't see it happen I hear stories of people around me encountering incredible things through prayer but it's not just been my journey and here I was as a teenager and that was my reality and I'd try for a few minutes and I'd fail and I'd try for a few minutes and I'd fail and I'd start to feel the shame on my shoulders of why can't you do this like anyone else does? Why can't you pray long prayers? Why can't you pray out loud? Why can't you pray in the New King's James Version like some holy people do, right? Why can't you prophesy and have pictures and words of wisdom and words of knowledge? Why doesn't that happen for you and suddenly we're having all these conversations in our head and we just go, do you know what? I'm out. Here's the disciples doing everything. Cast it out. In the name of Jesus, come out, come out, come out, come out, come out. It's not happening. It's getting angrier and angrier and angrier. There's noise around them watching the disciples just fail and fail and fail. And they're getting more embarrassed and more shameful at the time. And in the end, they just stop. Thankfully, Jesus rides on through. And when Jesus rides on through, suddenly things start to shift and things start to move. And Jesus says, get out of him and don't return. And the boy is healed and he's set free straight away. But the disciples over here, they're still filled with shame, still filled with guilt and still filled 
with failure? Where do they start? Well, it's the place that we should all start. Jesus. Jesus, I really struggle with this. I desperately need your help. There is the number one starting point and place to a consistent and creative prayer life that shakes the bowels of hell and sees darkness tremble. I need your help, King Jesus. If you are in the room and prayer is something that you've struggled to learn and cultivate and this is where I end, I want to give you four really practical, quick little things that you can start this week, okay? Is that okay? I'm wanting to give you something that you can take away rather than just feeling excited or energized or bored, whatever it is. I want you to take away something that's just like, I can do this from today. I've already given you a few in terms of your diary, but I know that's a big one. It might take some time for us to get that. It's understandable. Here's, here's the first thing. If you don't know what to pray, there's this beautiful book that you can pray out loud. Pray the scriptures. First thing I want to bring you. It's a real biblical theme and it's a real practical theme. If you don't know where to start, just go straight to this wonderful book called Psalms, which is just written and recorded prayers and pray them out. Start to pray out the scriptures like you've never prayed before. If you don't know what to pray or you don't know where to start, just pray out the verses that have spoken into your life. I'll give you two. I've got tattooed on my wrist here, John 3.30. And when I don't know where to start and don't know where to go, I look at my wrist and that's why I got it there. And I start praying, John 3.30. He must increase, I must decrease. And I start with my day just going, God, I don't know where to go here. I've got loads of things going on in my mind. I struggle with prayer, but here's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray out the scriptures. And today, may you increase in my life and may I decrease. I don't want to be, I don't want to be prideful. I don't want to be filled with pride. I need your humility to help me this morning. I need you to come through and I need you to show me that you can shine through me, that you can do things in this world. And I pray out John 3.30 inside my arm here. I've got Galatians 2.20. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And when I don't know where to pray and I feel shameful because I've not prayed for a week or two weeks, I start there and I go, you do live in me. You do live in me. By faith, I believe it. You live in me. You shine through me. You do want to use me. You do want to help me. You do believe in me. You are praying for me. So right now, this verse that's on my arm, I pray it out. I have been crucified. Crucify my flesh, Lord. Help me see the things that are against me. Help me see the things that are tripping me up. And I cast them down in the name of Jesus. I bind them. And what I loose, I loose your power, your authority. And I loose you into this world through me. So let your light shine through me this morning. I need you. And we start to pray the scriptures. Start with praying the scriptures if you don't know where to go. Point two, this is a big one and one that I don't normally feel like we should stay or say from the stage a lot. But I'm going to say it and please forgive me if you disagree. But I just think that sometimes in prayer, we need to normalize boredom. I did say it. Has anyone ever been bored when they prayed? Right, let's just be honest about it then, hey? Sometimes you have the most incredible, glory-filled moments when we pray. But other times we're just like, this is so boring. What do I say? Where do I go? What do I do? I know it doesn't sound holy, but we've got to be practical if you really want to grow in these things. What we have to do with prayer is we have to normalize boredom. And we have to go sometimes when we do pray, I am going to start in the flesh and I am going to be bored, but I'm not going to end there. I'm going to end in the spirit. So as Smith Wigglesworth said at the beginning, I'll start praying in the flesh and I promise you I'm going to keep praying until I start praying in the spirit. And when I pray in the spirit, my heart will start to beat for the things of Jesus and for the things of the kingdom. And I will start to live out a life of prayer, but I have to normalize boredom. I have to realize that that's the thing that the enemy is going to do to prevent me. Point one, pray the scriptures. Point two, normalize boredom. Point three, take time to listen instead of talking. We've got so much in our hearts and our minds in this noise-fueled world, but actually prayer, the biblical definition of it is a response rather than a first starter of a conversation. 
Hear the word of God. Spend a few minutes just going, instead of me talking, and it's good to talk, it's good to get things off my chest. You listen, you heal, you do all those things, but Jesus, I just want to know what you're saying to me today. So before I do anything this morning, as I'm sat here before I go into work, or my meetings, or my conversations, whatever I've got, I'm just going to take two minutes, I'm going to put a timer on my phone, I'll, st- I'll just hit start, and then I'm going, Jesus, just speak to me now. Let me hear you in here. Block out the distractions. Release my mind from the noise. Let me hear your voice because your word says that the sheep will hear the shepherd's voice and I'm desperate to hear the shepherd's voice. So please speak to me. And suddenly we sense this peace and this calm. And suddenly we sense this still voice just saying, it's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. I've got it sorted. That thing you're worried about, don't worry. Just hear my voice. You're a child. Come be close. Son, daughter, move here. I've got healing for you. I've got breakthrough for you. I've got peace for you. Just come be close. And then from that place, here's what we do. I want to respond to that, Jesus. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for speaking to me. Thank you for assuring me. Thank you for letting me hear your voice and your word. I'm so grateful. And then we respond and we start prayer. Point four, and here's how we end today. Learn to make it a habit to pray for others. It's really simple, but I've struggled with this one for so long. James 5, 16. Confess your sins to one another and pray forever for each of us that you may be healed. And here's what it says. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Has anyone's life ever been changed or shaped because of people's prayers over them? There's something powerful when you get people to go, do you know what, I'm going to pray for you. At the end of this first service, there was a man that came up to me back. He's a good friend of mine. And he started chatting to me about the work and things that's going on and saying that we'd love to hang out and get a coffee. And he said, can I just pray for you really quickly? And he prayed for me. It shifted everything because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it's effective. What would it look like, church, if every single Sunday when we came into this gathering, we made it our number one ambition that we would not leave until we prayed for someone? Just think about that. This is a really safe place to practice prayer. What would it look like if we made it our ambition? I'm not leaving this place until I've encouraged and empowered a brother and sister in prayer. It can be a prayer for a second we pray for 10 minutes but we commit to praying for others because prayer changes things church would you stand with us as we come to an end my hope today is that not can we just be hearers of the word but we would find something today that we can do with it and I want to encourage you I've not been trying to energize and stir up anything but instead what I've been trying to do is give you something that actually from this day this afternoon this evening you can actually take away and go this is the one thing I'm going to do from what we've heard today maybe it's your diary maybe it's some of the things to do with starting prayer maybe it's praying the scriptures I, I don't know what it is but I want to encourage you just now as we invite the Holy Spirit in and we invite we invite the the invitation of Jesus to a deeper level of prayer to come that you would start to ponder on one thing that you want to put into practice. Perhaps there's something, nothing that I've said and the Spirit's just dropped it in your heart, then fantastic. But let's try apply something today. If you want to, with me, accept the invitation of 2022 to step into a greater level of intimacy of prayer, to try again, to get back up and go, then I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and fill us so that we may do it not in our own strength, but by the power of God who created us. And if that's you, I just want you to open your hands up in any way you want that. And instead of waiting for me to pray, we've been talking about prayer, but let's just do it for a moment, hey? I want, I want you to pray 
Pray what you want to pray. You know your struggles. You know where you you may struggle with this. You, You may know him really well in prayer, but I want you to pray. Holy Spirit, come fill me now. That's the prayer of our hearts. Come fill me now, Holy Spirit. I don't want to do this in my own strength. I've struggled and I've failed or I do this really, really well. But I need your presence. I need your power. I don't want to do that human model of life where I just engage to be exhausted, to burn out. But I want the Jesus model. So allow me to be now filled with your spirit as I withdraw from the noise. Come and fill my heart, fill my mind, fill my life. Direct me, guide me, open and close doors. And let me move into everything that you have planned for me. Jesus, I pray right now by the power of your spirit that you will empower and you will fill every son and daughter in this room that wants to grow to a greater level of intimacy in their prayer. I pray in the name of Jesus, you lift off shame and disappointment right now. Lift it off their shoulders, King Jesus. Take it off. Do what you want to do. It's not meant to be their narrative. It's not meant to be the lens in which they see lives. Shame is not the lens in which you have given us. You have given us freedom. So I proclaim and decree freedom to your children right now in this room, that we will be free in our prayer, free in our tongues, free in the way we speak, free in the way we listen. For those that haven't heard your voice in such a long time, I pray this week will be a week of change, where they hear your voice in the stillness and in the quiet, where you speak into their souls. You heal, you guide, you shift and you move. And call us now, God. Call us by your voice into a whole new level of prayer in 2022 for the sake of the Southwest, for the sake of our family, for the sake of our children. Ignite in us a fire and a passion and a burden to want to be a people of prayer that moves beyond the social constructs of how we do life and moves into the ways of the kingdom that's alive and breathing in the avenues of prayer. And may this not just be another sermon on prayer that we've heard millions of times, but may this be a moment that shifts and moves things in the consistency, in the power, and in the effectiveness of our prayer. Teach us to engage, to withdraw, to refill. In your incredible name we pray. Amen. Amen.